Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. I am your host, Vinny Russo, along here with my co-host, Dr. Erin Stansfield. Hello. A little bit more enthusiastic that time. <laughs> We're shifting gears from all the conventional fitness narrative you hear on most fitness podcasts. Our main emphasis lies in preventative healthcare, adopting a holistic approach to nutrition, and challenging the traditional views on various fitness topics. Our mission with this podcast is to serve as a beacon guiding you on a journey towards achieving optimal health. So in today's podcast, uh, we're going to dive into TRT clinics. Um, Dr. Aaron is really going to take the lead here. I'm going to just kind of ask the questions and guide the discussion. Uh, but she is a wealth of knowledge in this area way more than I have. So um, this is going to be fun and, and you'll be able to see all the stuff that Dr. Aaron could, could give us with this TRT stuff. So uh, are you ready? I'm ready. You sure? Yeah, I'm sure. All right. Okay. So um, just speaking briefly on this topic with you, I, I kind of sensed a dark component coming out of you. Um, as you dove deeper um, into the discussion, you expressed more about the problems there are with these clinics. So first question right off the bat is, am I, am I correct in assuming that you have this strong aversion towards TRT clinics? Um, yeah, so I'm specifically going to speak about TRT clinics. Um, I do have pet peeves with HRT clinics in general, um, but that could take several hours, so I'm just going to focus on TRT. Um, and yeah, I, I have a big, big issue with them, mostly because um, they are essentially treating people without hypogonadism. Can you just can you just really quickly, um, just for our listeners, explain what hypogonadism is? Yeah, so um, it's a very fancy term um, for a medical condition that's basically characterized by the underproduction of sex hormones. Um, so specifically, if we're talking about TRT, um, which is testosterone, um, so it would be a decrease in testosterone in men. Um, Typically, patients that present have specific symptoms that they may present with that are associated with a decrease in testosterone. Um, they could be just very general symptoms. Um, a lot of people present with fatigue or uh, decreased uh, libido. And um, my biggest issue is that these general symptoms are taken um, to these clinics. Um, you know, the patient goes to these clinics and the mid-level provider, who maybe is a nurse with not much training in endocrinology, um, is giving out medication um, without um, really delving into if the patient actually has a medical diagnosis of hypogonadism. And um, I guess my biggest pet peeve is while I'm not an endocrinologist in my own practice um, in preventative medicine, these patients end up in my clinic, right? Um, the first brush that I had with this was um, several, several years ago when um, I was doing uh, physicals for the fire department. And um, a lot of the firefighters had gotten together and they had gone to the same um, TRT clinic um, because they were feeling symptoms of fatigue. And a lot of them um, were young. Uh, late 20s, um, early 30s, 
um, and they have very strenuous jobs. So what did the mid-level providers do? The nurses, they um, put them on testosterone. They treated their symptoms. And the issue um, was that when they were coming to me for their physical, their annual physical, um, they are driven by national guidelines, um, the firefighters, and their biggest risk is a cardiovascular risk. So uh, my job is to make sure that they don't have a cardiovascular event on their job. And so we try to practice preventative medicine strategies in order to, to um, circumvent that uh, risk. And so when they're going to these TRT clinics, they were presenting with hematocrits that were very high, um, you know, anywhere from the mid 50s to 60s. And um, they were really unaware of the risk whatsoever. And um, when they were seeing me, it actually put them at, at a higher risk category because the cardiovascular risk isn't well understood. And then I had to do something with that information, i.e. I had to tell them to either go back to the clinic and dial down their dose or tell them that um, they needed to get that hematocrit number down essentially before they could continue doing their job. Otherwise, they would be at an increased risk for um, either a cardiovascular event or maybe thrombosis. Wow. Yeah. And, and just so our listeners know, hematocrit is the measure of the percentage of red blood cells in your blood compared to the liquid component or the plasma, right? Is that, is that correct? Yes. All right. Awesome. Now, if that's elevated, that just really means that the viscosity increases, which adds stress to your heart. So the viscosity just gets thicker, right? Am yes. I, am I, all right, yes. yeah, I knew in, I knew something about it, not, not all about it though. In theory, this makes sense. Um, yeah. And we'll, we'll delve into the topic a little bit later, um, what the research shows, but yes, um, uh, physiologically speaking, that is a logical um, inference. Now you, t you talked a little bit about um, endocrinologists and how you are not one. Um, yes. I know how big you are into research and stuff. So do you have anything um, that, that kind of comes to mind when you, when you think about endocrinology? And with like what they've been putting out, is there any type of like guidelines for for certain for, for TRT in, in general? Yes, thank you for teeing me up with that. Um, so of course, uh, you know, even though I'm not an endocrinologist, um, I do follow uh, medical guidelines, and by medical guidelines, I look at the endocrinologists who put out medical guidelines. So in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology. Um, that they came out with guidelines back in 2021. Obviously, they update their guidelines every so often, um, but they they basically review all the medical literature out there um, to come up with the uh, best clinical um, advice for clinicians. And um, when they did their review of uh, the literature, they actually looked at some European studies um, they took a European multi-center cohort study, um, which actually de really defined hypogonadism, and um, they, they defined um, specific sexual symptoms that seem to be more related to hypogonadism um, than some of the more general complaints, if you will. So um, they said that the three that were a little bit more specifically associated with hypogonadism were decrease in sexual interest, um, decrease in morning erections, and erectile dysfunction. Now, they said that that defines hypogonadism 
with a serum testosterone level of less than 11 nanomoles per liter and a calculated free testosterone of less than 220 picomoles per liter um, as, as reaching the criteria for hypogonadism. Now, so they basically, they basically needed the symptoms yes. and the labs to be able to do it, not like yes. what, you, what you were mentioning before with the TRT clinics yeah. and how they were just treating a symptom. Exactly. So okay. my biggest complaint about these clinics is that people are going to the clinic and they're saying they have symptoms, but they don't have the laboratory data that correlates um, with the clinical picture, right? They just have generalized symptoms. They don't have, you know, if you get lab data on these people, they might have low normal testosterone, which, you know, there's might be a gray zone for treatment there, although it's not recommended. Um, the recommendation is that they actually have to have um, these levels of testosterone in order to be treated. Um, now, some of them are going and they have normal levels of testosterone, yet they have, they're complaining of the symptoms and the clinicians who, um, in my experience, usually are mid-levels, um, will treat them. They'll give them the testosterone injections. Um, and that's, I, in, in, in practice, in clinical practice, that is not what is recommended by um, the endocrinology uh, society. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I mean, like you mentioned firefighters, I just feel like they have to stay physically fit, right? They have yes. to be able to save lives. Yeah. Um, but it makes it like, so they, they could go in there, they present these symptoms, and I'll put it in quotes, to these doctors that they know are going to, or nurse practitioners that are going to, that they know is going to give them this testosterone. It's almost like taking, um, taking gear a little bit, right? Like there, there's yes. a way for the insurance to cover it, but it's also enhancing them physically. Um, so it is, uh, I'm going to say a smart way around it, um, but um, smart in the sense of like, you want to do this legally, that's how, that's one way to do it. But what happens, like you're, like you're mentioning, is there's going to be complications to this, um, especially if you don't need it. Um, but I think this is pretty common in, in pretty much all of hormone testing, right? Like if, if a thyroid is on a lower range and is labeled, you quote unquote, subclinical, um, I know personally, because we have clients that actually said this to us, that nurse practitioners will prescribe them thyroid medications. Like it's, it's, it's more common than we actually think. Yeah. That's a whole different topic for a, a different podcast. Um, because we can delve deep into that as well, but yeah, that's my biggest issue is that, um, you know, because these clinics are a business, right? They're in the business of prescribing medication um, they may not be um, looking out for the patient's best health outcome interests, yep. in other words. Mm -hmm. So they, they are just treating the symptoms without the um, laboratory uh, data sometimes that correlates with the symptoms. Um, and it, it's just, it's, it's terrible because we'll get into it later, but there are risks associated with any medication you take anything you put in your body, right? There's, there's benefits and there's risks. And so you got to weigh those. And, um, as a patient, you need to be educated about those so that you know what you're getting into as well. Um, but also people trust their clinicians and the clinicians should be educating their patients about, the uh, um, benefits and risks. Um, well, so then, 
the patient is well informed as well. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play a little bit of like uh, the opposite side of the ball here. So I just know like as as a male, and I've had friends and I have clients that are males. Um, if they go to their doctor and they can't get prescribed testosterone because their levels don't show it, but they feel they really need it, they're gonna go the other route. They're gonna say, "Fuck it!" Like I'm, I want it, so I'm gonna yeah. go to one of these TRT clinics and I'm gonna get it because I have I'm presenting with these symptoms. Um, and even they don't even have to be of age. Like, like, like I have, I had friends when they were doing it, they were like 32. Um, when I went to a doctor and I actually have low testosterone, when I went to my doctor and I was 34, he literally said like, I'm still just a little too young for it. And it's, it, although it is low, he's like, you could wait a couple years before using it. And I'm like, I'm 34, man. Like I know people who were getting this at age 30. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I don't do business like that. So I was like, yeah, oh, okay. uh, uh, good for him because yeah. um, there we'll get into the risks of testosterone therapy. But especially I think the one that that really bothers me is that men that are at the reproductive age who do want to have children have to be aware that if they are prescribed testosterone, that they are suppressing their sperm production, right? They need to know that. And the longer they're on it, the, the more suppression they're gonna have. And um, sometimes that is very reversible once you come off the therapy, but they have to be aware of that risk um, because depending on how long you've been on it, it, it could cause an issue if you want to have children later on, right? It's something that needs to be discussed and I think often it's not it's not very much discussed with um, the uh, younger population that does go seek out um, you know the the testosterone injection yeah yeah no that's that's really really important especially for other guys out there because I, listen we we want to reproduce we want to have offspring um, but you know you can't let vanity take that take that away from you or at least reduce the chances of it right um, but, but I mentioned something a little bit about age because I know that is a big determining factor here to where it's like when you do get older as a male, our testosterone will decrease. Um, yeah. But like without age, let's just say because there are a lot, especially nowadays, there's a lot of young men with very low testosterone. Um, that, can you touch a little bit more in that area? So there are several pathophysiologic reasons for this. Um, for example, low testosterone decreases lean muscle mass and you get an increase in fat mass, which promotes adipocyte aromatase mediated conversion of testosterone to oestradiol, which then further decreases circulating levels of testosterone. Um, you also get an indirect suppression of GnRH secretion, which further decreases the levels. And then there can also be dysregulation signaling of, for example, leptin and ghrelin and um, pro-inflammatory adipocytokines like TNF-alpha. Yeah, now if you're decreasing, um, if you're decreasing the leptin and the ghrelin, then your, your appetite hormones are thrown off. So not only are you actually getting more obese from, from low testosterone, like it, it's like a vicious circle. It's like obesity causes low T, but then low T is also cause, causing more obesity. Well, it's a, it's a cascade, right? So yeah. um, one hormone is affecting um, a lot of different pathways, and it's really the regulation of the pathways that gets affected as well, um, and and that plays into what what you said the vicious cycle of um, 
maybe not making your weight loss efficient, right? If you're yeah. trying to lose weight in that situation. Well, thank you for that nice little classroom lecture. <laughs> uh, your mind's like a textbook, but um, I, there, you said a lot of big words there. Um, and if you're not into science, you won't, you really won't understand what she's talking about. Um, you could look it up perfectly fine, but if you don't have the background in it, why don't you just um, g- give us the biggest takeaway with what you just said? Well, I think the biggest takeaway is that what we're seeing in our population a lot that is true, I think, is that um, obesity does play into these low testosterone levels. And I think we're very quick to treat people with testosterone without addressing the root cause, which might be lifestyle modification, right? Diet, nutrition, um, exercise protocols, those um, should be attempted um, or at least recommended at some point and unfortunately, I, I think that clinicians, um, whether they are mid-levels or doctors, are not well-equipped to um, help their patients achieve lifestyle modification. Now, there, there are some great docs out there, and there are some even great mid-levels that, that might be equipped to do this, but I think it's often the case where it's just easier to write a prescription for somebody instead of really addressing the root cause of the issue. Yeah. Okay. So let's address the elephant in the room here. How do we actually diagnose male hypogonadism? So there needs to be a combination of the characteristic clinical features and corroborative biochemistry. So IE hormone testing, right? The clinical characteristics are often very nonspecific. Hence, why these non-specialized clinicians are jumping on the bandwagon to treat your symptoms. Um, Mm. Clinical features that are suggestive are sexual, so we talked about reduced libido, um, sexual activity, ED. Um, They can also be skeletal, so loss of height, low trauma fractures, low bone density, reproductive, so low sperm count, infertility, vasomotor, hot flushes, hot flashes, excuse me, sweats, uh, tender gynecomastia, um, and they can be blood-related, so reduced hemoglobin or hematocrit in the absence of other causes, so other things need to be ruled out. Symptoms that are less specific include disturbances in mood, sleep issues, neurocognitive function, uh, reduced muscle mass and strength, and increased body fat. So again, um, there are symptoms that are a little bit more specific for hypogonadism versus some of the symptoms that we see um, people presenting with that are less specific. But all of these symptoms do need to be um, correlated with the laboratory data. Um, It is the recommendations that um, testosterone treatment is not warranted in men without male hypogonadism, i.e., if you don't meet the clinical criteria for hypogonadism, you should not be on testosterone replacement. That includes the laboratory data along with the symptoms, right? So a lot of clinics out there do not heed this. Um, If they do, they're often overdosing their patients as well. So they're giving them more and more testosterone based on their symptoms and not necessarily the clinical data. Um, That's a whole other issue, right? So not only are they, um, maybe they meet the initial criteria, 
but then they're keeping their testosterone levels very high. Again, um, there are risks to any treatment that you start. There's risks and benefits, and those need to be addressed. Well, you got me thinking about two questions right now. Um, and one of them, I'm trying to get you to really elaborate on why we need both, right? So I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here. So I feel that we shouldn't just put all of our eggs in the lab data basket, right? Because I think, and I'm not sure of this, but I think some symptoms can actually precede the lab data. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe the lab data that sh all collective lab data besides your hemoglobin A1C, um, aren't they just showing like a specific moment in time, um, like where hemoglobin A1C shows like the last three months, right? Um, to where these other ones, if you take low T, if you, if you take your testosterone and you see low T, um, it might just be in that moment in time or a thyroid, or it might be in that, just in that moment in time. Um, so the question is, how should we prevent this if symptoms are arising before lab data shows uh, shows it because if you think about the average person they get labs or they run that like blood work one to two times maximum per year i mean unless you're talking like bodybuilders or people who are really into like their health and fitness uh, the average person maybe once or twice a year they get their, their labs done um, so how how could we go about preventing these symptoms bef if they're arising before the lab data shows so great question. So um, obviously we want to look at those symptoms. I just talked about how some symptoms are a little bit more specific to low testosterone than other symptoms, right? And mm -hmm. um, I think what you're asking me is how do we treat subclinical disease? Um, and I think um, it's wrong sometimes, um, especially when there are recommendations um, from like the Society of Endocrinology and clinical guidelines that they put out um, to not follow that as a, as a um, medical provider. So um, as far as I'm concerned, I, I would definitely take the lab data into consideration before I start a medication. Now, that does not mean that somebody can't have the symptoms and you can't try other things. That's where I think, um, you know, I feel like maybe some clinicians are maybe overwhelmed and they just want to say, here's some medication that'll fix your problem. But I think if they are having symptoms, you know, is like, for example, I gave the example of obesity. Is the, is the root cause because of being obese? And if it is, then let's address that first. Let's put you in touch with a nutritionist let's put you in a training program um, so that you're um, exercising let's try to get that weight off because some of your markers may improve um, if if you have subclinical disease they might improve regardless and then um, some of these symptoms that you might be experiencing may resolve as well yeah so what, what i'm getting from that is basically if you're showing symptoms, but the lab data is not really showing it, modify your lifestyle a little bit first before you jump right to the medications. Absolutely. All right. So this was this leads into the second question. Then, um, is it really that big of a deal to get a little bit more <laughs> extra testosterone as a male? All right. So that's where we get into the risks of testosterone. Let's run down a little bit more specific ones that I haven't mentioned. 
Um, so the biggest one that we look for is when you are on testosterone therapy is your prostate. So your prostate volumes and your serum PSA can increase in response to testosterone treatment. So that's important for someone to know if, for example, prostate cancer runs in their family or they, um, or even uh, benign prostate hypertrophy runs in their family or, or they themselves have it, right? Um, because um, PSA can be increased and also prostate volume can be increased as well because it is uh, testosterone dependent. And there is a theoretical reason um, for um, worsening of BPH, which would then cause uh, urinary outflow obstruction um, another one is that we've already touched on is the increase in red blood cells, right? Erythrocytosis. Again, there is a theoretical concern for uh, venous thromboembolic disease as well, so um, in the form of blood clots. Um, however, data hasn't really reflected that risk. Uh, they did look at... Um, meta-analyses of three placebo-controlled clinical trials, which enrolled 1,500 participants, and erythrocytosis occurred in 16 men in the testosterone arms compared with one man in the placebo arms. So a potential risk, but um, it didn't really demonstrate um, a, uh, a too much of a risk for a venous thromboembolic disease, um, as you would think. Um, the biggest concern, I, I think, is the unknowns around the cardiovascular risk. So back in um, 2010, um, the FDA actually said um, that there is a possibility of increased cardiovascular risk associated with testosterone use, and that's because they did a very small um, placebo-controlled trial, or they looked at a very small placebo-controlled trial that was discontinued after um, that trial did show an increased risk of a cardiovascular event. That was back in um, 2010, and so that's why the FDA issued that statement. Um, however, if you look at more recent studies, they're starting to, to look at the risk a little bit uh, more uh, critically, and there is uh, the TRAVERSE trial that's going on right now, and there is actually a recent study done um, this year that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, which found that men with hypogonadism and pre-existing um, pre or high risk for cardiovascular disease um, were placed on testosterone replacement therapy. They had no more risk than the placebo um, group with the same risk. Um, with respect to incidents of a major adverse cardiac event. So in other words, um, they concluded from their study that there was no increased risk, um, even though these people were at higher risk. Um, this is a multi-center, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. It enrolled 5,000 men, um, a little bit over 5,000 men, um, that were 45 to 80 years of age who had pre-existing high risk of cardiovascular disease. So it's a pretty, um, you know, uh, good study. Um, one thing to remember, though, you got to take it with a grain of salt in that they um, were studying men that were getting uh, transdermal testosterone. So this, this wasn't the testosterone injection. It was the testosterone cream in, in many cases um, or the gel. So um, I think 
basically what I'm, we assu- I'm assu- well i'm assuming just because of that that the bioavailability of testosterone is is less in the cream than injection correct yeah yes. okay that's why yeah right. that's why you wanted to make that note all right yeah uh, yes mm-hmm. um so i think basically what if you want to look at the big picture, I think we just need more research in this area, right? Um, personally, I err on the side of caution. Um, I think that the biggest takeaway clinically is that you should not treat men um, with testosterone if they don't have um, low testosterone to begin with, like on their laboratory data, right? They don't have hypogonadism. Um, why not address the root cause. Um, I feel like there's a lot of obesity that might be associated with this. So why aren't we addressing lifestyle changes and um, actually trying to treat the root cause um, instead of just saying, here's your testosterone because you feel tired, um, instead of saying you're 30 pounds overweight and maybe it would actually help if you lost weight and you wouldn't be so tired. Yeah, no, I agree 100% with what you, you basically just said and trying to first fix it with lifestyle modifications before jumping right to um, some type of medication to help. And this is what we preach with our clients all the time. But I've, you know, I've seen this a lot. Uh, I've seen uh, people get, you know, today I had a, a call with somebody and um, they had spoken to um, a social media influencer who kept saying that they should, you know, they kept pushing hormone testing, which is, you know, not always necessary. And um, this person reached out to the influencer and said, you know, I want to get my hormones tested. And because I'm going through um, not necessarily, this is a female, so she was going through menopause. And um, the influencer actually said, I can um, just get you some progesterone cream um, without really evaluating any symptoms. I don't even know mm-hmm. if she's a medical provider to begin with. but um, Without any lab data? And yeah. just, hey, and then, you're um, going through menopause. Yeah. Here's progesterone. Yeah, like, and yeah, then she sense. didn't even um, ass, you know, test her for labs. And even the person who reached out to this influencer thought that it was kind of a faux pas. Like, where where is the lab data that proves that I even have a hormone issue for you to give me some kind of hormone cream? to begin yeah. with. Um, so you have to be very careful. I think a lot of um, people are getting medications um, or um, quote unquote supplements um, that aren't really um, one FDA approved and two uh, may not be good for your health in general. Um, and that's a lot of trust being put into somebody who might not have the medical acumen to actually um, discuss with you the risks and benefits of what they're giving you. Well, we could, that's going to be another podcast. <laughs> so we're giving you all like hands on future podcasts when we dive into how, uh, I, I I'm not even, I'm not even gonna do it. <laughs> Talk about the, the functional medicine people. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we won't do that right now. Um, but, um, I will say this though, you are two for two for saying faux pas, Oh, I, I said it twice. You said it the, you said it the first time. Oh, you said it the first time, the first episode, you said it again this episode. <laughs> so let's wrap this up. Um, so Dr. Aaron, are there any final thoughts that you want to leave our audience with? Um, just, I would say that if you are going to one of these clinics, 
um, to make sure that they are treating you appropriately. Make sure that, um, one, I would, I would highly recommend that if you are going to get hormone replacement therapy that you consider going to an endocrinologist who actually deals with hormones, um, or at least a medical provider who is a physician and not a mid-level provider who is educated in reading laboratory data and seeing patients and um, giving you a clinically appropriate um, diagnosis and treatment. Um, don't trust your health to some nurse who took a course, you know, a crash course of a month of in endocrinology, um, who is just going to give you medication and not even check your labs, or if they do check your labs, that they're just going to treat your symptoms. Like, make sure that you are well-educated as a patient when you go to these places um, because there are some risks to um, testosterone therapy or any medication that you take. Um, there's risks and benefits, and you have to be able to weigh those and make sure that it's a good treatment for you. And, and just for anybody listening, if you ever have an incident where you have something like this and you know something's a little off, you could always reach out to us and just ask us a question like, hey, does this sound right? And I've, I'm telling you right now, Dr. Orange, her, her response time is like within the hour, even though she has, you know, her practice and like she's doing all these things with with being, you know, in the Air Force and, and running, uh, being a chief over there. So she's got to take care of a lot of shit. But her response time is very, very quickly. And she will give you like, hey, you might not want to go that route, you know, like so she'll give you an idea. But um, I do want to thank everybody for joining this discussion, and I hope you learned as much as I did today. Um, Dr. Aaron, thanks for sharing your knowledge with all of this. Um, all of the research we're going to put in the show notes, so all the PMIDs will have those in there so you can do your own research and take a look at that. Um, but just do us a favor, and don't forget to share this podcast, like it, five-star it, leave a review, and we're going to shout you out. So with that being said, Balance of Bodies forever in your corner. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. The podcast content may include discussions of medical topics and health-related information. However, the information provided should not be considered exhaustive or complete, and it should not be relied upon as a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment.